0: This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. When Goodfellas first hit the theaters in 1990, a classic was born. Few could anticipate the unparalleled influence it would have on pop culture. One that would inspire future generations of filmmakers and redefine the gangster picture as we know it today. From the rush of grotesque violence in the opening scene to the iconic hilarity of Joe Pesci's endlessly quoted funny how. Shtick. It's little wonder the film is widely regarded as a main. Stay in contemporary cinema. And the first ever behind-the-scenes story of Goodfellas film critic Glenn Kenny chronicles the making and afterlife of the film that introduced America to the real modern gangster. The book is Made Men, the story of Goodfellas. Glenn Kenny is a film critic whose work appears in the New York Times and RogerEbert.com. He also has written for The Current, Rolling Stone, The Village Voice, The New York Daily News, Playboy, Film Comment, and other publications. Makes his home in Brooklyn. Happy to have Glenn Kenny join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Glenn, welcome to this program.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be speaking with you.
0: So, Glenn, first off, why this book made men for you?
1: Uh, well, um, you know, it's, sort of seems like it was almost preordained because uh, I've been a journalist since the early 1980s and uh, the first time I ever met Martin Scorsese was in 1989 while he was actually editing Goodfellas. The movie was then called um, Wise Guy* after the Nick Pileggi book upon which it was based. And so Scorsese was a filmmaker I had admired for a long time. Uh, personally, uh, as a film uh Enthusiast and then professionally as someone who wrote about film, and so the first time I met him was while he was editing Wise Guys slash Goodfellas, and he was so excited about it. Uh, if you've ever heard Scorsese speak, he has a, a way of speaking that conveys his own enthusiasm, and it's kind of infectious. So I was very interested in what the film he was making would uh, turn out to be like. Um, so you know, when he told me about the movie, I said, "Well, that sounds fascinating." Uh, so, you know, um, and so then, you know, after the movie became a, a sensation, which was not immediate, you know, it was, a, it was a box office hit, it made money, but it wasn't a huge blockbuster, but it did change Scorsese's career. And, uh, in my years as a film critic working for a magazine called Premiere, I had several occasions to interview Scorsese over and over again. And, uh, you know, I had been wanting to write a book. This was an idea that I had. And, uh, you know, once I discussed it with um, the, the people who uh, published it at Hanover Square Press, they felt, well, now's a great time, you know, to do a fellows book. It's going to be the 30th anniversary of the movie. So, uh, you know, this is a way of exploring not just the making of the film, but also its cultural context and the things that happened in the lives of the people who made it and the people who it was about.
0: We're chatting with Glenn Kenny here on Speaking of Writers, Made Men, The Story of Goodfellas, is his new book. All right, let's start with, you talk about Scorsese there. Um, why did Scorsese fear the worst when Goodfellas was about to be released, Glenn?
1: Um, because the previews were horrible. Um, I mean, there was a little, you know, it was interesting. He makes this very gritty, very violent New York gangster film. Uh, and, you know, everybody knew what they were getting into. The the executives at Warner Brothers had read the book. They knew uh, what was in the book, how brutal the uh, mob people that Henry Hill hung out with were. Um, but, uh, you know, and the film itself begins on a hugely violent note. Um, and, you know, but they previewed it out in like Orange County, California and Redondo Beach, which is not exactly Scorsese country, you know. And people were walking out right from the very beginning. The opening scene of uh, Billy Batts, uh in the car trunk. They think he's dead. He starts banging around, and they open up the trunk and they kill him again, very brutally. People start walking out then, and um, you know, and, and then it just gets worse. There was one preview where the sound wasn't synced up, and Erwin Winkler, the uh, producer heard them, you know, people in the crowd saying, bring us Scorsese, like they're going to, you know, uh, put him on trial there or something. So, you know, the previews did not go well, and it it put the Warner Brothers executives in something like a panic. Um, And they came, they had Scorsese come in, and they said, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And Scorsese, who had uh, been, you know, vouchsafed his final cut by... uh, producer Erwin one Winkler and others uh, said, no, release it as it is. And uh, that was that. And then when it played in the Venice Film Festival, it got these rapturous reviews The Warner Brothers said, oh, well, you know, it could, it, this could be useful. So they ran with that. And the film was successful, but also controversial. And it remains controversial to this day.
0: Glenn Kenny's my guest here on Speaking of Writers, Made Men, The Story of Goodfellas, is the book. You mentioned Henry Hill there. You had a chance, as part of your research for this book, to talk to Henry Hill's brother, Joe. What did he say about his brother and about the film and, and Ray Liotta's portrayal?
1: Joe Hill, uh, a brother of Henry Hill, uh, you know, in the film he's, he's uh, depicted as having only one brother. He actually had uh, brothers and sisters. It was a, The Hill family was relatively big. You know, there were certain aspects of the movie that were fictionalized both for the, uh, in, in this case, for the protection of the other family members. So um, Michael Hill, who had spina bifida and was confined to a wheelchair, was the only person who allowed himself to be depicted in the film. It was, um, he actually died before the film came out. Um, Joe Hill was very interesting because um, he, he, uh, he spoke about the movie. He says, "Well, you know, it's a good movie, but uh, I like the Bronx Tale a little better. I think that's more accurate." He's, his memories had more to do with the way that the uh, wise guys looked after the neighborhood, which was a very, um, which was a legitimate function of organized crime in the United States and in the Eastern Seaboard of the United States. Uh, interestingly enough, it started to die out in the '60s of these underbosses of the big crime families being located in specific neighborhoods and kind of keeping an eye on keeping the neighborhood safe, quote unquote, while they're also, you know, um, committing these crimes. So, you know, uh, the idea of this mob guy who's uh, who's kind of the the, the unofficial mayor, that was what Joe Hill remembers more about. That's that's why he preferred a Bronx tale. But uh, what he'll say, and this is what you hear from a lot of people about movies, about mobsters, they'll say, well, they Hollywoodized it up, um, which, you know, is not um, is not untrue specifically. I mean, these are Hollywood actors playing gangsters. They're more attractive than the actual gangsters themselves. If you look at Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci and Henry Hill um, in their mugshots. They're not quite as presentable as uh, or rather, you know, if, if you look at Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta in the film, they're not uh, they're much more presentable than uh Henry Hill uh Jimmy Burke and uh Tommy D Simone are in their mugshots you know the big difference Joe Pesci who's who's not a tall man uh, the real life Tommy D Simone was about you know was well over 6 foot 4 um so there is a difference so Joe Hill said yeah they hollywoodized it up but otherwise he saw pretty highly of it you know what do you what what he you know what was a source of of press, frustration I guess, to him in terms of his family was the way that Henry Hill, the real life Henry Hill, once the film came out, kind of used uh, his status as a, a figure in a popular film to, uh, to sort of fuel his various, you know, get rich quick and keep yourself from being killed by other monsters schemes, which, you know, along with Henry's alcoholism, uh, um, got him in, into a lot of scrapes over the years that he lived after the film came out.
0: Glenn Kenny's my guest. Made Men: The Story of Goodfellas is the book. So, why did Warner Brothers executives want the film reshot and recut?
1: Well, they were shocked by the uh, the people in the preview walking out during the first scene of Billy Batz being killed. But you know, uh, studio executives um, dithering around with movies is something that's been going on, you know, forever. Uh, and it's gotten especially pronounced since directors started exerting more power over their films, as opposed to being, you know, hired men by the studios like someone like Michael Curtiz and so on back in the old days. But um, you know, uh, the the dithering or the the potential dithering started even before the film was shot when Terry Semel of Warner Brothers suggested that Karen that Karen Hill and Henry Hill be played by Madonna and Tom Cruise, respectively um you know so you know scorsese martin scorsese when i interviewed him uh for the book you know said to me uh every film every film it doesn't matter which film it's always a knockdown, drag out to get what you want so they people like scorsese and barbara defina the executive producer and erwin winkler the producer when you're working in a in a situation where you want to make the film you want to make you kind of get used to being in the trenches and kind of Pushing back against what the studio wants, which may you know they feel would be best for box office, but the filmmakers feel might not be best for the film. So you know this is why contracts are written that have uh, that that give the studio a certain amount of latitude, but also give the filmmaker a certain amount of latitude. And in Scorsese's case, um, his contract for this film, and this was not always true, even after Goodfellas. Uh, certainly. The version of Gangs of New York that came out in theaters was not the version that Scorsese had uh, wanted to make. Uh, so there have been cases where his films have been compromised in the uh, shooting and editing uh, by, uh, by the money guys. But uh, in Goodfellas, um, Scorsese had uh, enough clout to, uh, to get the movie made the way he wanted to.
0: Glenn, I know as part of your research, too, you had a chance to talk to Robert De Niro. What were his thoughts looking back now, 30 years later, about this movie?
1: Well, he's proud of it. You know, he's proud of all the work he's done with Scorsese. Uh, you know, he has a different way of looking at his career than you and I have. He doesn't see his films in terms of, you know, this was a landmark of cinema or anything like that. Um, you know, he cares about the work, certainly. Um, And he cares about uh, his own concerns. He's worked as a director himself and so on. But, uh, you know, to him, he's a working actor and this is another gig. So he thinks about it in terms of his memories of it aren't so much, well, this was a great scene to shoot, this was an interesting group of people to work with, as more like uh, whether or not he was able to get his characterization done to his satisfaction. And then his working uh, life that means getting the look right so he remembers everything in terms of like i was upset that day because my hair wasn't right Mm -hmm. that's how he thinks about it so you know when you talk to him about well goodfellas is a landmark film he's like yeah it's good but you know let me and what do you remember from the set well i remember going and i had to go to queens a few times and see this uh uh you know see see someone to get my hair done because he builds his characters from the outside in he's very specific with Jimmy Burke, whose name was changed to Jimmy Conway for the film, because Jimmy Burke's daughter started uh, breathing down Henry's neck about wanting hundreds of thousands of dollars to use the Burke name. So instead of doing that, the producers just changed it. Um, you know, he made specific and very detailed lists of what the character was wearing in every scene and what kind of watch he had on and the jewelry. When he's gambling at the beginning, when Henry Hill, as a 13-year-old, first meets him, he wants real money. And the prop guy had to actually go out and take $2,000 out of his own bank, out of his own savings account, to have it there for De Niro and then look after it very carefully because um, you know, a lot of these extras on the set were uh, actual wise guys who might have ran off with the money. Um, So, um, you know, that's De Niro's process. So when he remembers process and the shooting, he remembers the specific things he was wearing, you know, and so on. And I talked to him about Michael Imperioli, who plays Spider, who's the guy who gets shot. And, you know, De Niro is is such a legend that, uh, you know, you expect when people are working with him for the first time that they'll go up to him and say, ah, I'm such an admirer of your work. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want that. He's on the set to work. I mean, he's, he's he socializes to socialize and he comes to the set to work. So he doesn't have a really, you know, welcoming reaction to praise in this context. And Imperioli kind of figured that out for himself. He told me he really had an urge to kind of geek out on De Niro. But he knew from just knowing De Niro's work himself, that probably wasn't the thing to do. So sure enough, When the time comes for this scene where in a basement playing cards and Spider, played by Imperioli, is the bartender, Uh, Imperioli's in character before they have the camera set up. He's on the set and he's sweeping up like you would before a bunch of people come into your uh, basement to have drinks and uh, and, um, and play cards. And uh, De Niro gets in and he's the first one to be on set and he gets into his mark. That means he sits in the chair that he's in uh, before the car table. And uh, Imperial, he doesn't say, hello, Mr. De Niro, it's a pleasure to meet you. Look forward to working with you. He says to him, what are you having? Like a bartender would.
0: Yeah.
1: And actually, De Niro's so used to people geeking out over him that he doesn't get it at first. He's like, what? And then he's like, oh, yeah, this guy's in character now. And he says, yeah, give me a scotch and club soda. And they, you know, they do that prior to the to the, uh, the uh, clapper guy yelling, shoot, you know? And De Niro respected that. He said, you know, you're there to work. And that's what he does.
0: The book, Made Men The Story of Good Fellas, the author is Glenn Kenny. Glenn, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure.